You better enjoy this message. I worked hard on it. Amen. <laughs> I'm getting ready to pray, but before I do, I got another cool announcement to make. On June 13th, everybody get that number down, that date, June 13th, we as a church family, we're going to have some projects to do around our city. We're coming on the grounds to pray and release our faith together and then go out in teams and take the entire Sunday morning and serve our community on June 13th. Oh, come on now. I don't know any other churches that's doing that. And, you know, we do that by faith, right? Because, you know, you're just sowing the whole day into your community. You know, if we want to win our community, we got to sow into our community, right? So you have opportunity. I think they got something digitally. You can sign up and, like, give your ideas, ministry, projects you'd like, and we're going to pick a few, but we want everybody to give us what you're thinking, and we're going to go out and change and transform our community. We also already are taking bids to resurface the basketball court for Redefine down there and the church as a whole and do some landscaping and other things to make it, you know, better for the students. So how many of you excited about what God's doing with our teenagers? Come on now. I tell you, if you don't have your teenagers in there, you're really missing out because I, we see the fruit of those that go through our youth ministry, how they turn out, what God does in their life, all right? So let's pray. Father, I just thank you right now for just the great testimony of Miss Kathy and John Lear and Abby and so many others. And thank you, Lord, that for the 100-plus students that were here last week and for the 11 salvations. God, and just thank you for those seven that's never been to church, Lord, that they were from Bryan Station and Nicholasville, West Jeff, students from all over our city in Lexington and even Nicholasville and Versailles. And it's so awesome to see you move. And we don't take that lightly. And, Father, we just give you praise right now that this time together motivates us, God, that you convict us that what Easter is all about, Lord, is, is to celebrate your resurrection. And there's no way to greater way to celebrate your resurrection. It's not, it's not like how much candy we get or hunting Easter eggs. That's all fun stuff. But, Lord, how many people do we bring into the kingdom on Easter? That, that's what it's all about. Use us as your evangelists, every single one of us. Use us to tell your story. Use us to be anointed and to draw them into this house or watch it online or somewhere where they can receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. I said, everyone said, well, I really probably don't. If it wasn't Palm Sunday, we'd just go home. I think Miss Kathy already preached, so I'm just more the marketing guy, I guess, today. Amen. Now nah, we're just so thankful. I'm so thankful for a church of people of faith that take faith into their own hands, that begin to step out and to move. I'm so thankful that when God says he's going to do something spectacularly, he does it. I'm so thankful we're a church he's chosen to do that through, and I'm sure many others in our community. I'm so thankful that I'm alive on this planet. I could have been born any other season and lived any other time in any other time or dispensation that God so chose. I could have been born any other nation, any other family, situation, circumstance. But God chose me in this time. And you know what? He didn't just choose me. Since you're sitting here or watching online, he chose you too. You know, I was just really praying about it and thinking about it. We still have a lot of turmoil in our country and confusion and hurt and offense. And, and I just really got to thinking about it. Wow, as I was praying this morning, getting ready for service, and it's like the Holy Spirit, I just felt as the Holy Spirit speak to me in my, in my heart saying, do people really think that God would even allow a country that would be so holy and pure and perfect in operating, uh, operating my Christian values that, that it would be like this little place that would be whatever you call it, utopia? And the Holy Spirit said, of course not, because then you wouldn't even be hungry for righteousness or hungry for the kingdom of God. He said, let your people know you're always going to have turmoil. You're always going to have strife. You're always going to have Satan to battle and to fight. But let him know the victory is won. It's finished. It's over. Don't get caught up in the trivial stuff along the way. Focus on me and my cross. Focus on me and my resurrection this is the time to get people saved. This is the time to get people delivered of oppression and depression and fear and addiction. This is the time to step up as men and women of God, not cower down and pout, but step up. Rise up, mighty man. Rise up, mighty woman of God. I said, 
Yes, sir, Holy Spirit. So I guess I needed to be motivated this morning. Hopefully that blessed you. And I'm so glad to have Miss Gwen back in the house. Love you, Miss Gwen. I love Miss Gwen. My mama and the faith over there. and Actually, basically my mama anyway. That's who, when I really have something I got to talk about, that's who I talk to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I just thank you. Woo. Excited about today. Excited about today. I want to talk to you just briefly today because I believe this is just really a give charge time that you take this next week and truly make it what the body of Christ is supposed to do to be a passion week. That you and I pray fast, get ready, get our hearts, get our minds ready that, that we can just feel, that we can, uh, you know, ascertain, that we can just meditate on and receive motivation toward that passion, that we can have a greater understanding, that we can see it more clearly what Jesus really did, what he, the price he really paid. Because today I could focus on so many amazing things that we could focus on on Palm Sunday. We could focus on, you know, Jesus being arrested and Jesus being beaten and beaten with the cat of nine tails and the flesh ripped off his back. I mean, we could focus on him, uh, you know, going up Golgotha, but before he goes up the, skull of Golgotha, the hill of Golgotha to carry his own cross, he had been beaten. His beard had been plucked from his face. They had, you couldn't even push the crown in his skull. They had to almost drive the big thorns down into his skull. And you could imagine the pain and agony that it is. They spat on him. Every time he fell, every time he was bruised, and then eventually he hung on the cross, and they didn't just put him on like the other thieves. They nailed him with his hands with what we would call spikes, not nails, but they were huge, big things like spikes in the palm of his hands and in, the, in his feet, and that his, he had a spear plunged into his side. He took his final breath, and at the end of it, he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he said, it's finished. And what was he saying it was finished? See, that's where you and I need to pick up the story. You and I need to pick up the story because when it was finished there, yeah, it wasn't finished in the fact that he had risen yet. He rose three days later. We know that. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. On the way, it says that uh, he, he uh, arose, then what, he came back, and he walked this earth for 40 days and nights, and, and, and he could walk through buildings, and sometimes he would show himself as he was, and he preached the gospel and preached to all those that had backslidden and fell away and people that didn't believe in him. And that's where you have Acts chapter 1, right? And all that began both uh, doing what Jesus taught, right? And doing it, what he taught, hearing it and teaching it and doing it. And, and that's really even what we try and attempt to do today as believers, right? We want to live out beyond the book of Acts. We want to do what God assigned us to do. And we want to do it with passion. But this time of year is where we really recalibrate ourselves as kingdom kids we really recount, no matter what age we are or how long we've been born again, if not, I'm believing today you will be born again. And this is a time where we, we must get a vision of his hope, but we also must see his pain. We must see not in a sense of self-pity for him, but in a sense of how much his purpose meant to him. How much did his purpose mean to him? And, I mean, all those things are historical, they're important, and they really happen. But as we really, so today what I want to do is to dive into those and, and throw in a lot of emotion at you in that sense, which it's always good to do that too. I really want to, here's what I want you to know today. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus go to the cross? I know we can just flippantly say, oh, to save the lost, to raise from the dead, to show that he was the son of God. Yeah, but... That's just, that's just ethereal. That's just something that you were taught in Sunday school or whatever when you were a little kid or you heard your grandma pray or say. But really, when does that why become your why? You see, you, you could be motivated somewhat when you know what you're supposed to do and, and you get an idea of how to do it. But until you understand the why behind it, you can't self-correct. You can't motivate yourself when problems come and when, when you have setbacks. But when the why is so big, that it's worth risking everything, including your life, for, maybe even knowing laying your life down for something, then that's when you really stir up a passion in you that's not of this world, but it's a passion of God and the kingdom of God. So I want to read to you today as we talk about that question, a few verses in John chapter 12. And to set this up, this is six days before 
Passion Week began. This is six days before, you know, Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in on a donkey and thousands and thousands of people were celebrating with palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, the Most High King and all of that. And the big party was going on, right? That crowd could celebrate you, then it can crucify you. Always remember that, right? And especially if you love social media, just remember, they can hate you as much as they love you. Just, uh, you could be the next one, right? <laughs> yeah, all right. So anyway, just, just try to help you out there. So, uh, so let me get back on track here. <laughs> I haven't been on social media, so I don't know what you've done this week. So don't, don't pout at me, right? Santa Claus won't come if you pout, right? So anyway, he believes in Santa Claus. Well, maybe, but anyway, no. So what this is really setting up, and Jesus is, came back to Lazarus' house, and he's there in Bethsaida, and, he's, uh, and all of a sudden people start hunting him down because Lazarus had risen from the dead. The Pharisees and Sadducees were there, but they wanted to kill not only Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus because so many people believed. Since they knew Lazarus, and he had been in the tomb three days, and they either saw or heard of the story, him coming out, shaking off the grave clothes, right, and, and being alive again. So as so we're getting ready to go in that time, people with good intentions and evil intentions were seeking Jesus out. And, and, and that's where we're going to pick it up. We'll pick it up in verse 20, just past that. It says, some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee. They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil, in the soil and dies, it remains alone. And you know the principle of a seed, right? If, you're, if you want apple trees, you plant apple seeds. If you want, you know, orange seeds, you plant oranges or whatever. But a seed has an assignment in it. And, and an apple seed can't produce oak, or it can't produce mushrooms, right? It's an apple seed. And there's life in that seed, but until that seed is put in the soil, in a good, healthy soil, and the ground, as it moves, gets wet and dry, wet and dry, it crushes the seed. And when the seed dies, whatever the assignment is in the seed bursts through. And that's the principle of a seed. And Jesus is explaining it to them, but they don't quite get it. He said, I'll tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat, it's planted in the soil and dies. It remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. The love, uh, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life. Now, when he says those who love the world in this life will lose it, he's not talking about you're just going to immediately lose your life because you don't believe. He's talking about you're going to lose the eternal life that's already been bought and purchased for you, right? Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Verse 27. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to your name, and I will do it also again. And when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to them. Just think about that. Isn't that crazy? They're standing there watching Jesus pray, and all of a sudden they hear the Father speak. The only other time we know of that is when he was baptized and when he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So as we think about this, um, the conversation that Jesus is taking, having and taking place to this crowd, you know, as I said, some are for him and many are against him. And basically what he's saying, there's some good stuff going to happen. They're, they were looking for a king, right? They, they thought it would be an earthly king. And, and he, they didn't understand that it was going to happen, but not the way they thought it would happen. And it wasn't about ruling this earth. It's eventually about taking it over and getting a new earth and a new heaven. But at this time, it's really about the Son of God marking the soil of seed for their salvation and all of our salvation and eternity. And, and whenever they were confused about, well, you know, they're asking him these questions, and we'll get into them in a moment about, okay, you know, you're the son of God, what's going to happen, and so on. So let's look back in verse 23. Um, it says, whenever they'd ask him, Jesus replied, 
Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. So they liked that part because he had talked earlier about it too. When they enter his glory, they thought he'd be like King David, right? That he would, he would reign and set up a, a kingdom and they would overtake the Romans and all that stuff and be back in charge again. So we see in verse 24, he said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil. Now this is the new King James Version, I think. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of, seed of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of what? New lives. So Jesus, his eyes was not on an earthly throne. His eyes are on the eternal throne. Remember I talked to you last week how humble he must have been to come as a son of God into a virgin, to be born 100% God, but to lay that authority down and live as 100% man. Because remember, if he went about doing good and doing miracles and signs and wonders as God, we would have been happy spectators. But when we realize he laid that down and did it through the same power of the Holy Spirit that you and I have to operate through as a man of God, just as it would be a woman of God, then we become participators. And that's what I want to happen. I want you to have such a passion this week that you become a participator in that passion and a participator for the cause of Christ. How could we not invite someone to church on Easter? Over 80% of the people you invite will come. How could we not invite someone? 80% plus the people that get saved in church, uh, they were invited, right, by someone else. They didn't just hear some advertisement and show up. They, they were invited personally. So Jesus knew he was going to pay the price. He knew he was going to die for his assignment. His assignment could not be fulfilled because he said, unless the kernel of wheat, the seed dies, right, the others can't be born or multiplied out of it. So he knew his assignment. He's telling them in a parable, but like us many times when he tells us, we don't get it. And then, but even describing that fact, what happened, he was already focused on what? He wasn't focused on the cross. He wasn't focused on the suffering. Now, he was earlier a week or so before when he was praying, right? And, uh, well, no, he will be in another week or so. He prays again if it be the Father's will, but he accepted it. But right now, he's not even focused on it. He's thinking of what? The harvest, right? The harvest of new lives. So as we see he wasn't focused on the cross, I think the issue when we talk about passion, so much of the church lives at the foot of the cross. We just get saved and hope we make it to heaven. We get saved. We don't want to get too far away. Because that's where our sin was taken. Jesus took on him all of our sin, all of our sickness, all our disease, all of our, our, our oppression, depression. He took it all on Calvary. And, and we kind of don't get too far from that, right? Because we can look back and say, I was a sinner or I am a sinner. But, you know, there's Jesus. I, there's the cross. That, that, that's where my price was paid. And God has said, man, you don't, don't hang around the foot of the cross. Live a resurrected life. Live a life of healing the sick, setting the captives free, raising the dead, and saving the lost. Live a life of sowing, of being generous, of being a giver, being a prayer warrior, being a lover, right? Loving people that you normally wouldn't even talk to or hang out with. That's what he said. And that's a resurrected life, not a life that just lives around the foot of the cross with whatever the name over our church says. <clears throat> so jump down to verse 27. And it says, now my soul is troubled. He said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He said, what, what shall I say? Well, Lord, because he said, I am troubled because he's thinking of the suffering. He's thinking he knows what's getting ready to come, how horrendous it is and how painful it is. And he says, should I, he asked a question, Father, save me from this hour. You see, they're all celebrating because they don't know what he's getting ready to do for them and for us, right? And he says, but for this purpose. Everybody say, for this purpose. Everybody say, for this purpose. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Wow. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. I, I want to say, but for this purpose, you came to this hour, this day, this week, this Easter, this April. I believe this is your hour. I believe this is my hour. I know we don't see it in the natural 
We don't see it in the natural in the body of Christ. We don't see it in this church or any other churches. I mean, normally you have people healed of cancer, people growing two inches, spine straightened, people nerves healed. Terry, you know, about running multiple, your eyes are open two or three new businesses since he's been healed and doing great. I mean, we see creative miracles. We see sometimes 30 salvations and all that in a certain, we see stuff, but, but, but really, do we see? There's a difference between acknowledging something or someone than really receiving it and having passion for what they're passionate about. You see, you, you really know someone's with you when they're, they're fired up about what you're fired up with, right? And Jesus is saying, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. I want you to pray this week. Every day when you get up, this, the first thing in the morning before your day starts, before you even get out of bed, just lay there and just whisper to God, Lord, what do you want me to know during this hour? How could I live your purpose? You see, people try to live their purpose. Should I be an attorney, a doctor, a preacher, you know, a nurse, a, a, a pro athlete, a counselor, a teacher? What should I be? What should I be? What's your will? That, he could care less, to be honest with you. Really, he could care less because he can get people healed without us. And it's good that we have people in those professions. Thank God most Christians would be dead if we didn't. Does he care about my hair on my head? Yes. He says he even knows the number of hairs on your head. Hebrew, that's in Matthew's gospel. In, in Hebrew's gospel, he says he not only cares so much about you to know your heart, he knows the very intentions of your heart. He loves you so much, but that's not his purpose. His purpose is not you being a 4.0 or a 4.3 student. That's a good thing, but that's not his purpose for you. His, his purpose is not to be a well-known preacher. That's a good thing, but that's, that's not his purpose for me. His purpose is not, well, you're a doctor. Well, that's great. You're helping people, serving. That's great, but that's not his purpose for you. Let me ask you, would he rather you have 1,000 successful surgeons, that's the greatest brain surgeon in the world, of people that, that would have died had not been for you and your gift and your preparation, or would he rather you win one person to the Lord that if you did not win that one person to the Lord, they'd spend eternity in hell? Which woman? Seriously. Seriously, which one would God choose? Now, we just say that. I mean, do you really believe that? Would, would he want you to offer your life? Now, I'm not saying don't pursue being a doctor, being an attorney, being a, a preacher. I'm not saying, you, you see what I'm saying. Those are good things, and we need to do good things. But that's not his purpose for you. His will is for you to die. That's why we fast, so we can push our flesh back down when the pride comes up or our desires are greater than his desire. His purpose for you and for every child of God is to die and live in him and live through him. So the purpose of do you get a new home or a new car, a new cat or a dog, or do I have one kid or 29 kids? It, that's not his purpose for you. Well, procreation. The world's doing pretty good without you, so that's not the purpose for you. It can be a purpose and a good purpose, and there's good purposes we would die for. I would die for one of my children. I wouldn't even have to think. I'd die for Stephanie. I wouldn't even have to think about it. But that's not the main purpose. The main purpose is to die for Christ. And, and if you're willing to die for something, do you think you'd be a little passionate about it? We got a lot of Christian referees. I mean, they referee politics, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? They're always refereeing. I want to know who's dying. I want to be around some dead Christians. I want to be around some people that die to themselves and are alive in God. And there's times I have to beat myself down, and there's times I get out of line like you in my heart and my mind, and, and I just got to, okay, Lord, I got to become that colonel. I got I to do it again. I got to lay it all down again. So you can have passion for a lot of things or for some things. Not a lot, some. But there should be the passion, not a passion, that supersedes all of it. And that's what Jesus had. He was famous right? He was well-known. He was doing a lot of good, healing a lot of people, getting a lot of people saved, delivered, demoniacs. But ultimately, that wasn't his only purpose. That wasn't the purpose. 
That was to point a sign toward the purpose. You see, you live in a good life, a healthy life, a blessed life, educated life, whatever, or a success, you know, whatever it is, being a good person, helping others, being a good mechanic, being good at whatever. God said, just do whatever you do as unto the Lord. So all the stuff you do as you do unto the Lord is good. But there's only one thing you can do that is your ultimate purpose and God's ultimate will for you, and that is die. And put him first in your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness is right standing. That, that's your position in him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then these things get added to you. They're additions. I'm glad you're debt-free or you have a great career or you have a great marriage. You have, you know, a Frenchy bulldog. Where you at? Where you at? <laughs> Torturing me. Torturing me. But I love you. I'll pray for you. Nah, just teasing. It's kind of a joke, you know. But I, I, I even love people that have Frenchies, even though I don't. I'm not, I'm not envious, honestly. Well, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> it's coming. Amen. Praise God. Don't ask Pastor Steph. Just if you're going to do it, just do it. I'll deal with her. You just don't, don't ask her. Lord, have mercy. So anyway, I would say it's a joke, but <laughs> I love it. But, but what are you passionate about? See, see, that's where we have to live our life. We have to live our life and recalibrate ourselves. And that's what I love about Miss Gwen. You know, she's one of those people, man, that she sacrificed her whole life She's sold out to God. She would put no person or no one before God. But she even sacrifices her life for family members and people and, and just laid her life down. She was a teacher in New Jersey. She just lays her life down to mentor people and to train people in prayer and, and counsel and take care of family that's elderly and sick and all that. She, she's a person that's passionate. And, and it always excites me when I look at her and look at her life and that's, who, that's who's going to be honored in heaven, not preachers like me. We'll be somewhere in there, but it'll be women like Miss Gwen and Miss Kathy that are doing things that they've laid their life down. They're so passionate about the cause of Christ. And, you know, you don't have to be, have a great education or, or, or a, you know, a ministerial degree or any of that, your MDiv or any of that. I got an MDiv. What did it do for me, right? You don't have to have any of that stuff. You just got to die. Job qualification, die. Inheritance, streets of gold, mansion, die. Living by the river of life forever, die. To be loved unconditionally, love others unconditionally, just die. And then what happens is that's when the passion comes, when we put everything else to the side and we just die for the same cause that he did. He said, but for this purpose, the hour came, this hour came, Father, glorify your... And the whole thing was to bring glory to his Father. Jesus wasn't trying to be famous. He was just trying to bring glory. That means to made seen, to made visible, to glisten, to splendor, to be present. So what was the deal? His very purpose was not so much the cross. The cross was on the way to the purpose. The purpose was pay for our sins, but if he hadn't been resurrected, the sins wouldn't have been paid in full. He had to take back the keys of life and death, right? So that's what happened in that process. And that's what we got to get away from the cross and start living the resurrected life. Be honoring the cross, thank goodness for it, but we should be way beyond that now, right? Luke 19 verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. You see, Jesus hung on Calvary. And by his blood, whatever the spear was plunged into his side, both blood mixed with water came out. Water represented humanity, but the blood represented our spiritual life, our salvation, our atonement. The blood, Jesus' blood, he was the only pure holy one that could do it. He laid his life down for that purpose. He died for us, and by his blood, we are free. By his blood, we, that's what atones, that's what paid the price for our sin. In other words, Jesus bled for us. His purpose was to bleed for you. His purpose wasn't to get his beard pulled out and a crown driven down in his skull and showing people his endurance of climbing up the skull of Golgotha to hang on a cross and be a macho man. No, his purpose was to bleed for you and to bleed for me. 
His love is a bleeding love. We say, oh, it's filial love. You know, that's man's love. Then it's agape love. That's God's love. We, we don't even know what we're talking about. We, we have enough problems trying to love your neighbor that, you know, has a loud dog or mows the lawn at 7.30 on Saturday morning or something like that, right? Or they put up ugly Christmas lights. Anyway, just saying, just, I got pet peeves, sorry. That's none of my neighbors. My neighbors are awesome. I'm probably the one with the dog, anyways. See, to say that Jesus died on the cross, that's partially the answer. That's part of it. But ultimately, it was to bring forth his blood. And the purpose he took to the cross had to be powerful enough to know he was going to suffer, to know he was going to bleed. I mean, going into a situation knowing you're not coming out alive, going into a situation knowing you had to really feel the pain, his purpose was greater than all the voices around him. So you had those saying, no, you, you could be King David. And when he said, you know, I'm on, you know I, I got to die, when he said it to him earlier, they're like, how can you die? You're, you're the, if you're the king of all kings and you're the son of God, you don't have to die. Well, they knew that because Satan told him that when he was fasting, right? Satan says, what are you worried about dying? You could throw your, yourself off this cliff and, you know, 10,000 angels or 1,000 angels or whatever would pick you up and save you or whatever it was. He said, you don't have to worry about it. Jesus could have, when he's on the cross, he could have said, enough, Father, destroy this place, I'm done. God would have honored it, but for his blood. He knew he had to give his blood so that all of us could have an opportunity for eternal life. And there's voices around you saying, you're not ready yet. Or, you know, when you get a load or have some fun, you're just in high school or college, or you're, you're not married yet. Don't be like mom and I and get married. Or, just go have some fun. Hell's full of people that have fun. It really is. I'm not saying you can't have fun and be a Christian. I'm just saying I don't care what voices you're listening to. Or, well, honey, you can't get saved before me. Let's get married first. And then Hell's full of people with good intentions. Right? Well, when the kids are out of school and I finally divorce this guy or this woman, you know, and I find the right person, then I'll, hell's full of people with intentions like that. People, hell's real. Heaven is real. The blood of Jesus is real. Over 2,000 years later, we're talking about it. 4,000 years prior to it, they were talking about it. You and I are royalty. We are kingly in nature. We're a royal priesthood, a peculiar people to show forth the praise of the Lamb of God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a king's kid. That means you have royalty in you. That's proof that this happened and that, it, that it's real. His purpose had to be greater than the sin of this world. His purpose had to be greater than the sin of of this world. You know, we say the thing, Jesus, you know, God doesn't hate the sinner, he just hates the sin. Well, the reason that he hates the sin is because he knows anything that distracts us or separates us from the love of God. Because if we're living a constant life of sin, we don't have a revelation of his love. But if we have a revelation of his love, we're able to repent. That doesn't mean you won't sin again. Everybody sins. But it's not something that separates you from God and that you can't overcome and then you deal with something else in your life because you're on a messed up planet. You're not perfect. But here's the good thing. You serve a perfect God and his grace is sufficient. It's more than enough for whatever situation you're in. There was only one purpose for him hanging on the cross, for him coming and suffering, and that was for his love, his bleeding love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's so powerful. But the son still had to come. And the son still had to suffer. And the son still had to die. And isn't it interesting? I think it's Romans 5, 8 or wherever it is. It says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside you. He gave us the same Holy Spirit that was so powerful to bring him out of the pits of hell, to defeat death, hell, and the grave, resurrect him to the right hand of the Father, that same, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop calling him the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to call him Holy Spirit. He's not an it. It's a he. Holy Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, just like Marion. Marion Dalton, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that, wrote, that brought him out 
of that grave, the same Holy Spirit that was with him to take death, the keys of death and hell from the grave, that same Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a child of God. That's why every service you hear me say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. Holy Spirit's in me. He's in me for my sake, but he's on me for your sake. Finally, as we look at this, Jesus went to the cross because what? Of love. That was his purpose. The love we need the most. His bleeding love. The world would say bleeding pain and agony. The world saw, they saw bleeding pain and agony. The world saw bleeding punishment, shame, condemnation. The world saw a man bleeding to death. But God saw bleeding love. God saw a bleeding love, a love that changed everything. God saw a bleeding love at the right time. That's why Jesus said, I was made for this hour, for this purpose. You know, as we kind of wrap up this morning, I'll read this verse and then we'll wrap up. I know you've been here a while, but it says, Romans 5. Verses 6 through 8 says, When we were utterly, utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps not be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, um, I'm one of those people that doesn't like to get help a lot of times when I should get help. You know, I don't like to ask someone for directions, you know. I don't like to, if I'm trying to figure something out, like Parker's like, Dad, please take some golf lessons. You're killing me, right? You know. So I did. I got on YouTube, and I improved my game a little bit, but I got a long way to go. But he said, you still need lessons, Dad. Why? I want to figure it out myself. And that's not always the best way. And I think so many of us, we want to figure things out on our own. And we keep trying to figure it out on our own. And, and what happens is we feel like we're, if we, if we can't figure it out, we feel like we're not good enough or we're helpless or we don't have things under control. Let me tell you, you don't, have, you don't even have the next heartbeat under control. You don't have your next breath under control. You, you don't have control going down Nicholsville Road today. Someone could have a seizure in a semi and flatten you out in your car. You don't have any control. You think you do, but you don't. Yeah, we pray. We put angels about us. That's good. But you still don't have control. It's up to the angels, not you. So as we begin to realize this, guys, we got to realize that Jesus doesn't look at your helplessness. He doesn't look at your emptiness, your sin, your fear, your worry. He looks at you. Because he's already paid the price for your helplessness. He's already paid the price for your lack of love or attention or your addiction, your fear, whatever it is. There's a scripture that changed my life that I'd read it many times before, didn't realize I'd read it. And it simply says that 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, growing up, I always felt like I had to prove myself. You, many of you know the story. My father died when I was three months old. Had a stepfather for a few years. He was killed in a mining accident, explosion. And so I always kind of was proving myself. I had a great mother who loved me and supported me, but she had to work all the time, so she couldn't come to my baseball or high school baseball or high school basketball games or any of that stuff. Very, I don't know, she saw maybe a few baseball games when I was a senior, but she was working all the time. She had other kids. She had other things to deal with. But I knew she loved me. She was always there when I needed her for something. And she taught me how to love people better. But I thought I understood love. Then when I went through my crazy years, as you know the story, and then I came to Christ at the age of 21. When I came to him at age of 23, I began to preach the gospel. So I'm 59, so ever how many years that is, it's a lot. A lot of years. <laughs> Been a pastor now for, I don't know, since 90. 
90 or 91, 90. Associate pastor, all the way up to pastor from 1991, I think, or 90. So that's a lot of years, 30 years or whatever. But about 20 years into that, at really some of the highest points of ministry for me, I went into deep depression because I listened to voices around me because of the financial crisis, my mom dying. Some people betrayed me that I, I really thought loved me. And normally it wouldn't have bothered me so much, but with my mom dying, the economy crashing, threatening that this church wouldn't be here anymore, at least this property and the embarrassment of that, I, I went into a depression. And then when I went away to my, my mentor, who's now a great mentor in my life, and he helped me in a week get set totally free from that, he just helped another spiritual son of mine, pastor friend that's crushed it in ministry, but so depressed and so broken for years. I've been begging him, please, just go to John. Go to John. Finally, he did it last week. He's totally free. In a week, he's free. Just looks like a new man. God has all kinds of people in this world that can help you. But you can't be to the point you think you're helpless or hopeless. It's okay to be helpless. Just don't be hopeless. But my whole key was that I was trying to get love, God to love me. Like I always wanted people to love me. I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to love me. I, when I was young, I was the life of the party because I wanted to be the one getting attention and people affirmed me. And I took that into ministry. Tens of thousands of people have come to Christ because of my serving God. Not because of me, but because of what he'd done through me. Over 10,000 just in this city. But that wasn't enough. Because I didn't have the passion. I lost the passion. Because I tried to earn it. When I finally realized this, and John taught me this, look, look at the scripture. And I prayed, I fasted, I looked at scripture. There was other things we did. But that just set me free. To know that God had a bleeding love for me. God had a furious love for me. No matter how many times I hit it or I missed it, he loved me the same. He loved me the same yesterday, today, and forever. God loved me, just loves me just as I am, not as I think I should be or anyone else thinks I should be. And believe me, I'm a lot harder on myself than you could ever be on me. But God. So if we want to live this life of passion, we've got to move away from the cross and get into this resurrected life. We honor that. We've been delivered. But now let's live this life that we're supposed to live with passion. And the only way we're going to have passion is if we are, receive the love of God. See, there's times I just have to be baptized in that bleeding love again and again and again. Sometimes I just got to say, God, I'm a mess. Nobody else would know it, but I know in my heart, my mind, I, I need you today. God, I need you this morning. Just baptize me in your love. That means to immerse, to, to, to put down in the words, totally buried or covered, to totally immerse. It's like when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. You don't just get that one time. You need to get that over and over and over in your life. As you go through battles and fights and things you got to do in life, and you keep using it, use it, and then you just got to stop and get rebaptized. The apostles did it several times in the book of Acts. Peter did. I think Paul and John did too, but there were several of them that got baptized two to three times in the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, going into Passion Week, how about get a fresh baptism of love? Well, do I have to fast for it? No. Do I have to pray an hour every day? No. Do I have to give a big check? No. You just need to receive it. Here I am, Lord. Take this weight off of me. See, we pray to be delivered, but if we don't feel his love, there's no deliverance. We're carrying burdens that he already purchased. That's why the Bible said sin is so weighty. The weight of sin. Man, what if you just get a fresh baptism of his love this week? That you don't even feel like when you get up, you just know you're covered in love. 
When you get in your car, you know you're covered in love. When you're, when you're in the grocery store, you're covered in love. You know, it's easy to love others when you feel loved. It's easy to be kind to people that's not kind to you when you feel loved. Let's all stand. I want to ask everyone at home, stand too. Just get up wherever you are. I want you to close your eyes. Because if we can get re-immersed, re-baptized, just baptized in his love fresh and over, what does that do? That love is what produced his passion. Christ's love for you and I 2,000 years ago and the people, not just around him, but knowing throughout eternity the people he brings to Christ, he knew throughout this lifespan on these earth, this earth, ever how long this earth lasts, he knew what his love meant. You want to know if you're loved? Just remember the cross. Don't live there. Remember it. It was love, that bleeding love that he died for. Think about that resurrection. It was, he resurrected because of the love that he had for us. When he ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, there was a church split. There were about 600 followers there, and only about 120 made it to the upper room. Whatever reason, where they didn't believe, they got upset, they got frustrated. That was after they saw him down across, resurrect, come back, and preach the gospel for 48 days, nights, have fish fries with them, and everything else, and they still quit the church. I'm not talking about an organization, I'm talking about the body of Christ. They were left him. But 120 men and women in that little upper room, Jerusalem, just waited. They prayed, I'm sure, fasted. Well, we know they did. Prayed, fasted. But the main thing was they were in a posture to receive. You, you won't be able to carry a fence for anyone else if you, if you just stay in a posture to receive the Father's love. I need an answer. No, you just need love. No, no, I, I need my bills paid. You just need love. I need my body healed. You, you just need love. To be absent from this body to be present with the Lord if you die, you win. You just beat other people to heaven. You can't lose if you don't lose your love. And it's not something you earn. It's not something you work for. But I promise you, if this week you focus on just stop praying for the mountains to move, just pray, Lord. I, just don't even pray. Just thank you. I thank you for your love. <laughs> Lord, I just feel your love. You get baptized every hour in his love. Lord, I just thank you for your love. Because when the love baptized with his love, you're baptized with his love, you don't have to work passion up. You don't have to, like, give yourself a talk or quote stuff. You don't even have to quote scripture of yourself. When you're baptized in the love, the agape love of the Father, passion to be there. Because you want everyone to feel that love. When you first got saved, you told everybody. Why? Because you were baptized in love, man. You were born again, blood-bought, and baptized in love. But somewhere along the way, the life that you live wears you down. You don't have to get saved again. A lot of people rededicate. It's not rededicate. It's getting rebaptized in his love. Yeah, Lord, I just want to come back. I repent of my sin. That's good. You should repent of your sin all the time anyway. Everybody in the room had to repent of something that day. Or it should say, yeah, I repent of my sin, but baptize me in your love. Love I didn't have to earn. Love I didn't have to prove out, work out. Didn't even have to live it out. Just had to receive it. And when you receive that love, you'll have passion for those around you that need Jesus. When you have love, you'll have passion for those around you that persecute you, use you, lie to you. And they'll be more miserable than they were, but you'll be stronger and healthier because of his love. So if you want a fresh baptism of his love, just raise your hands this morning, wherever you are at home or here. I'm going to pray for you. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you right now. Your word is so true. God, so many times in this life, we feel like we're the ones that has to make the move and do what this or do that. But really, Lord, right now, we just receive your love all over again. Immerse us in your love. Baptize us in your love, Father. 
that we love our neighbors more than ourselves. We love you above all and love our neighbors more than ourselves. God, that we love you more than we love ourselves because if we can't love you, if we can't receive your love, we can't love ourselves. Pour your love on us right now. Baptize us here in the sanctuary at home, in the office, in our car, wherever we are today. God, whenever we hear this message, if we're not hearing it on this exact day, the same anointing is real. Immerse us, baptize us in your love. The love of the Father. We receive it now in Jesus' mighty name. Now, now pray this with me. Father, as I have received your love, now stir your passion in me. Lead me to who I need to go to, to witness to, to invite, to pray for, or just to give a kind smile or a kind gesture or a kind word to. Use me for your passion, Lord. Let, I pray, God, your passion becomes so great in my life that no passion supersedes it. We thank you for 100 plus salvations with our church this Sunday. God, we know you can do a thousand or thousands, but we're, we're just... We're just not there, I guess, yet in our mind, or I'm not. I'm just believing for a minimum of 100, Lord. God, I pray for all of us that we have a passion to bring people that are lost Easter Sunday. That we can have a party, a Holy Ghost party, Easter Sunday. Celebrate. And those 100 will be a seed for 10,000 souls. We thank you, God, for just a, a spectacular April. We can't wait. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. If you believe that this morning, give God a big shout. Come on, give God a big shout. Man, I sure do love you. God bless you. Amen.